Sub GW, SUP, or SUP, stands for Sustainable Urban Planning. This is George Washington University's Sustainable Urban Planning graduate student-run podcast. We interview thought leaders, faculty, fellow students, alumni, and working professionals to talk about sustainable urban planning topics, themes, issues, and news not just in the DMV, but across the country and around the world. Tune in each semester for a new season, new ideas, and to hear what's up with Sustainable Urban Planning. episode by me, Raven, and me, Helen, we will go into the importance of using equitable community engagement tactics within the realm of parks and recreation. Today we have guest Holly Medill. Holly Medill is the director of the National Charette Institute at Michigan State University, where she trains practitioners on the methodology of charrettes, community engagement, and facilitation. With over 20 years of experience, she has conducted several charrettes and prepared and facilitated countless engagements for the private, nonprofit, institutional, and public sectors. Parks are special places with the power to increase diversity, justice, equity, and inclusion. Community engagement is a powerful tool to make not only parks more equitable, but also the communities they serve. Stay tuned to hear more about how equity in parks can be achieved. Let's get started. Alrighty, so um, I'm Raven, and I'm here with uh, guest Holly Medill and Helen. So if you guys could introduce yourselves briefly. Hi, I'm Helen. I'm working on this project, uh, and we're interviewing Holly. Okay. Hi, everybody. I'm Holly Medill. Thank you so much for being here with us today. Okay, so let's get right into it. Yeah, so we'll just jump right into the first question. Um, how would you define charrettes? Um, and uh, I guess the importance of the process. Sure. Um, Charrettes are one tool that we use for community engagement. Um, And the National Charette Institute is uh, a program within the School of Planning, Design, and Construction at Michigan State University, and where we teach practitioners how to conduct community engagements using the methodology of charrettes. We also conduct them and we coach people through them too. Um, But there's a few defining characteristics of a charrette. Um, The first one is that it has three feedback loops and a feedback loop is where you take information from the public, you analyze it, develop um, a product or a plan and give it back to the public for them to review and it's an iterative process where they give you feedback on that. So um, because we advocate for three feedback loops, oftentimes the charrette is multiple days. Um, So we advocate for a charrette process that is anywhere between four and seven days because that's how long it takes to incorporate three three feedback loops within it. Um, One big myth about a charrette is that everyone is there for all of the seven days, and that's not true. I mean, your charrette team and your design team um, is going to be there that whole time, but your stakeholders aren't. Um, Another defining characteristic of an NCI charrette is that we we co-embed people into the planning process. So oftentimes in community planning, a community might announce that 
hey, we're starting this project and uh, I mean, we want your feedback on it. And then you don't hear anything about that project until maybe sometimes even at the end of it where they say, and here it is. Um, but in a charrette process, stakeholders are embedded in co-creating that with decision makers and the experts um, in design or whatever product you're you're trying to put out that they have this specialty in. Um, so they kind of pull back the curtain on that decision-making process and stakeholders really get to understand what the trade-offs are in the decisions that were made on how they landed at that, um, at that particular product or plan. Um, um, and so from that standpoint, they're multidisciplinary because they often span many topics like the environment, transportation, um, complete streets, um, stormwater management, so all different kinds of fields, sometimes economics, housing, need to be included in the project depending what the topic is. So they're interdisciplinary. Uh, we advocate for them to be inclusive, and I'll talk about that in a little bit, um, where we have stakeholders, decision makers, and, um, and experts all in a space together designing and, and planning uh, a plan or a product. Fantastic. So that's a great overview of what Charette's, um includes. And uh, we're wondering, how do you define equitable community engagement in your practice? Yeah, so um, historically, um, NCI has looked at the Charette process as being an equitable community engagement tool. Um, and I say that historically because I think that it's changing, too. Um, where we create a space where um, all different viewpoints are invited and, and can meet and be engaged together. I mean, that is like the overall framework of what we're headed towards. I think we can even go one step further and say that we, they can be even more inclusive by embedding people in planning the charrette itself. So the charrette is an engagement. You invite people to come to it. But if you really want it to be inclusive, how about you have the people who are going to be engaging in that engagement design that engagement that works for their community and for their population? Um, and so I don't, that's how I would define equitable community engagement is where you have not, not only um, all different viewpoints and all different perspectives and lived um, experiences welcomed in a space, mm -hmm. but that they are also invited to plan the engagement itself. Yeah, that's kind of how we would um, define it as well, that, that two-parter where um, you're having, you're opening up the engagement process to have others, other voices uh, heard and listened to. Um, but also making sure that, you know, their needs are met in, in whatever is being planned. Yeah. yeah. Right. And I love that uh, charrettes are a way to get at equitable, at, um, basically a method of equitable yeah. community engagement. And just like you said, Holly, there's um, that additional level that you can add that will make it that much more inclusive and relevant to that community. Yeah. And I can talk about some challenges with that because um, sure. we do have a few examples Um not necessarily within parks and rec, but I think that I think that they're translatable. You know, whether you're dealing with a parks and rec product or a plan, or if you're dealing with a transportation plan, the process can be the same. Um, 
And so I've been working at thinking about not only as a charrette as a tool within community engagement, but also as a framework mm -hmm. that you plug different tools into and that you get different products out of. And so um, we've been experimenting with, um, with applied research and using the charrette process in different ways than it has been used in the past. It was born out of the architecture movement um, and design movement. And so um, one project that we're working with on a, is creating an education and outreach plan around a wildlife management issue here in Michigan. Mm. And so we're going to be creating an education and outreach plan, which is something that has not been, a shred has not, to our knowledge, a shred has not been used for. Um, and so um, I bring that up for a couple of reasons that, to show the relevance and kind of the adaptability of the charrette process that I think it's relevant for Parks and Rec in addition to all different kinds of things. Um, but what we did in this project is ex exactly what I was advocating for an equitable community engagement process to be is, you know, we have a typical set of stakeholders that we would invite to some kind of engagement like, like that, which would include um, hunters. Um, in Michigan, it's the Department of Natural Resources, the Department of Agriculture, um, and and we don't think much beyond that realm. And so we created a steering committee that was really more expansive than that. We, ha we had traditional stakeholders involved and invited to the steering committee. We also had tribal members. We mm -hmm. had um, a youth member. Um, we had um, um, someone from public health, from local government. And so we had a steering committee of about 12 people who have never worked together before. Um, have never worked around this type of issue um, before. And so it's really kind of like cracked open the top of, um, not Pandora's box, Pandora's box in a good way, <laughs> of um, thinking about the issue really broadly. And so they are, they are developing the charrette itself. And so we went through a series of exercises with them. They crafted the charrette and then we're implementing that charrette um, with them and on their behalf. And so I'm hoping that that is an example of a more inclusive and equitable type of engagement. Um, even at our very first meeting, having, um, having a tribal member sit with our state agencies, um, mm -hmm. I mean, a, a sovereign tribal nation and have that voice heard along with state agencies has never, has never happened before. And so um, one of the things that we do in charrettes that we're able to do is to really develop those relationships and develop that trust, which is really important on the back end when you're trying to implement it. Um, so we're really excited about that as an example of um, a more equitable engagement. Um, but what that's meant is because we don't have people who are used to working together mm -hmm. or they haven't worked on a topic like this, it takes more time. And so um, that, that push of dominant culture, or white supremacy values of perfectionism and urgency, mm -hmm. um, we really have to push back on that and, and just um, say it that may not be relevant in probably a lot of situations. In this one, most certainly, we had to really put on the brakes and go a lot slower than we normally do. Um, but the payoffs have been invaluable relationship building. Right, because if you are getting that in-depth complexity breadth of 
who the stakeholders truly are, who is going to be affected, then, and you're including them in the process from the beginning, it's not going to be, you know, a protest or someone getting left out later, or this is going to bring it all to the forefront first. And then hopefully that is an equitable, that sounds as equitable as you can. Yeah. We hope, yeah, and and actually along the way too, there are some um, some wildlife advocate groups who heard about the charrette and wanted to be involved. And um, you know, in traditional maybe planning processes, we'd say mm, this isn't really no, we're going to take a pass on that. But we've invited them into the process, and so um, we're really looking forward to seeing where it goes and and being open to that too. Nice. I think that you know, if, if I could go. Uh, out of order for the questions that kind of relates to um, our question of, you know, what are some of the challenges that arise when you have competing desires from different stakeholders and, and the different communities that they represent? Um, so, yeah, I, I think that that's very, that's very interesting to hear. And so along that line, I think that, um, and I alluded to that, whenever we're yeah in a planning process or we're in a public process and there's always trade-offs of, um, you know, one community, segment of the community wants this, the other one wants this and trying to find that middle ground. And so often we don't get to see those trade-offs being made, um, but in a charrette process, you really, you really do. And you get to hear from people with different viewpoints about what they value and trying to find the underlying commonality. Um, I think is really important. And, um, and I think, so one of the keys to having that be successful is making sure that you have all the viewpoints represented within the process. So um, I am a little bit conflicted about what I'm about to tell you, which is we have always advocated that you don't necessarily have to have everyone involved, but you need to have every viewpoint represented. Um, part of me pushes is just conflicted with that. So I'll just leave that there. Um, and just, but I think it is important that you have multiple viewpoints represented. Um, and, um, and without that, it, it won't be equitable or inclusive. So. Yeah, definitely. I think, I think it's hard to get 100% turnout every time and, you know, 100% turnout of different community groups. Um, but it's, it's easy when when planning, you know, engagement processes or meetings to always have that one group that's always present and always uh, willing to voice their opinions. But uh, at some point, you know, you have to be able to make way for, for other community groups to not only be able to attend, but feel comfortable enough to speak up and, and voice their opinions as well. Yeah. So. Right. And in, in that in trying to achieve equity, you know, just because someone's the loudest, in fact, that might mean they need the least attention. Maybe they just have, they're better organized, but that doesn't mean they're the most vulnerable population. Mm -hmm. So when you're acting as a facilitator, how do you find that compromise that will, in fact, have an equitable impact? Because an equitable versus an equal impact are very different things. So how do you navigate to find a compromise that is protecting vulnerable populations while still finding a common ground between all your different parties? Sure. Um, I think some of that happens um, when you're talking about the type of engagement that you are asking people to participate in. Um, you know, usually within a charrette, it's, it's not the pie is this, we'll just take um, 
you know, we have this, we have this park, we're either going to redevelop it or we're looking at programming. And may, there are oftentimes not just, we can do anything you want to do in this space, um, but we're constrained by budget. We might be constrained by, you know, I don't know if there's a, oftentimes there flooding, you know, flooding happens on parks. Um, so there might be a lot of constraints on the area that you're looking at programming or that you're looking at developing. And so it's really important to communicate with transparency like what the rules of, of the engagement are. So, mm -hmm. you know, we're budget constrained. Um, you know, we can't use this portion of the park because it floods all the time. Um, or we have to think of an alternative use for it that includes flooding. Um, and so I think some of that is, is handled within the boundaries of making sure that those boundaries are communicated appropriately. And then really seeking out, you know, if you have a really strong voice, you know, just taking time and thinking, we have this really strong voice. Um, and I think that there might be others out there um, that I wanna hear from and, um, and really taking the time to be in the community and, and seeking those out. And a lot of times it's, you know, like just working the networks of people of who do you know, who, can, who, who would, trust us coming into the community um, and, and asking these questions and finding this information out and then making sure that that's brought back to the table if, if they can't participate actively. Mm. Um, so, I, I mean, I think you, you pretty much touched on it, but um, I'll just go through the question. Sure. Do you have specific examples or experiences working with equitable community engagement within the realm of of parks and recreation? So no, the one I talked about the, um, the education and outreach plan. Um, I will mention that, um, yeah, gosh, um, in 2019, um, we worked with the National Recreation and Parks Association to develop a, a course specifically for recreation and park professionals around this, this idea of equity in, um, in community engagement in parks and so in advance of their annual conference. And so that was a really exciting opportunity that we had to reach into that, um, into that profession and, um, and to hear what some of those challenges are. Um, and so we had some, we had, we had four different case studies. We might've had a few different, more than that, but we had at least four case studies across the country um, where people were looking for how can we how can we do a charrette that might be more inclusive um, in this community? So, um, mm -hmm. not a specific project, but a kind of a broad, yeah. broad one. Yeah. No. So, would you say that in your experience with, with that specifically, or in your personal work when you're working with stakeholders, uh, what types of policies or practices, technologies, um, or just generally any method? would you say makes equitable community engagement easier to um, achieve, you know, in the projects you're working with or facilitate uh, when you're working with, uh, when you're working with others or guiding others on, on explaining what it means? Sure. Um, I would say from maybe a policy or a, a practice standpoint is um, having a steering committee that's representative of the community that you are trying to serve um, guiding you in the development of your engagement, I think is invaluable. Um, just 
to reiterate because we can't have an, an engagement that that is a traditional engagement that we know doesn't reach people, but we keep throwing it out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so having people to, to plan those, I think, is, is key. Um, and in terms of technology, you know, we are in the middle of a pandemic. Everyone has gone virtual that, that can go virtual. Um, a lot of our projects have stopped, um, but, but some still need to keep moving forward. And so what we found is, um, well, let me, before I tell you what we found is traditionally our approach has been to drive people to in-person um, facilitation and engagements. Mm-hmm. And since we can't do that anymore, um, they've been driven online. But so our, our traditional approach has always been in-person and online can just augment the in-person. And online mm-hmm. engagement can really drive interest in the in-person engagements. And we're clearly in a state where we can't do that. And so um, having engagements that are all online or um, I guess what we're thinking about doing is maybe a hybrid. Um, and what we're finding is that there's, there's, it has completely flipped the, the barriers and, and access on its head. Um, so what we find is there is more involvement in engagement um, but it's probably because, you know, there's been a lot of activities that have been canceled. <laughs> there is no longer, uh, you know, people don't have to travel to go to engagement if they're engaging online. Um, a variety of reasons. They're maybe now held, maybe our schedules are more flexible. Um, but there's also a segment of the population that's being left behind in that realm because they don't have access or, um, or the connectivity just isn't there. Um, and so there's always, it feels like there's always going to be barriers to engagement and we need to think through what those barriers are and eliminate them as much as we can. Um, and so I always think that it's, we're better doing that as a group and thinking that through. And so that's why the steering committee, I think is important. That makes a lot of sense. So in, it makes sense um, that you're trying to identify and eliminate barriers. And do you in your process and your team, do you have a metric where you have a way to measure how equitable an outcome is? Or are there other kind of key things or points that you hit to make sure that it's as equitable as possible? Sure. Um, I would say metrics, no. Um, from a planning standpoint, you'll always go back to look at what the demographics are in your population and, and see you know, if, if they line up with the people who are coming to your engagements. Um, so maybe that's, that's one thing that you can do. But we kind of have a checklist of what are the common barriers um, and, and what are we doing to overcome those. And those are often related to, um, to transportation, um, to time, um, to language, um, to um, different kinds of abilities, whether that's um, visual or hearing impairments um, or physical impairments, um, uh, to learning um, um, to learning impairments. And so be looking at the list of, of barriers that we know that traditionally exist and then trying to overcome those barriers. Um, is what we do in in each of our engagements. And so um, that looks different in each one, Um, you know, so maybe having a a sensory um, sensory friendly engagement might be 
um, an example of, of one way to overcome one of those barriers. Multiple, mm-hmm. you talked about Austin and, the, the, and having multiple avenues for um, information in Spanish, you know, is an example of another one. Fantastic. Um, is there something, if you have your checklist, but if you are thinking the context of a metric, is there something that you would add as part of your framework? Or do you think that the charrette as a framework provides enough of structure and feedback to the system that you are kind of have this check and balance to make sure you're being inclusive and reaching out to Mm -hmm. as many demographics um, and backgrounds as possible? Sure. Yeah, I would bring that barriers list to my steering committee and say, what's missing from that? And let's go through each one and how can we overcome that in in this population? Some of them may not be relevant um, to the population that we're that we're trying to engage, um, for example, in the communities that um, that we'll be working within around the education and outreach plan. Um, there's there's very few languages other than English um, in that community. Um, I think that it's it's also important, though, to note that um, just because a community isn't organized doesn't mean that um, there are different ways to be organized. And so um, so it's important to really think through think that through um can you ask that question to me one more time yeah basically is there anything that you would add to your charrette framework or is there something outside of it that would be that for you like you personally would want to add to ensure that equity or measure the equitable outcome sure Uh, one of the things that i love about charrettes is because they're um they're intense but they are over a, a period of time, you can stagger your engagements and your touch points with your stakeholders to meet their schedules. Um, for example, and it doesn't have to be that everyone comes to the charrette location, um, but that you go out to them. So there's been instances where we've had, to, where we've gone to schools, where we've gone to senior centers. There may be in your community um, a manufacturing base or different shifts. So you could go to a major employer at shift change and, and get a, you know, a group of people into a room. Um, so this is an in-person. Um, so that's um, one, of the, one of the things that's, that I think is great about um, a charrette process that affords a lot of flexibility in mm. reaching different populations. Yeah, I have one more follow-up question with that. So say you have a stakeholder, maybe it's the government who's kind of used to, you know, they know how to pitch their case and they're kind of used to things being done in the bureaucratic way where they know what the laws are and regulations and what protocol is. But say you have a sovereign leader or an indigenous tribe present and say that's where a major conflict of interest is happening what are what is maybe as part of the charrette framework already but how as a facilitator do you navigate to that common ground do you have tricks or um tools that you use for that yeah um i think it it's around so sometimes what happens in um in the charrette process is the the person who is ultimately responsible for implementing whatever comes out of it has to be willing to give up some of that power um, to the stakeholders. And that can be a process. <laughs> and um, because, number one, they might be worried that what comes out of the, the engagement or the charrette isn't implementable. Um, so that's why it's mm. important to have 
the transparency around the constraints, like this isn't possible, that's not possible, here's what is possible, let's dream within that sandbox. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. But a lot of times it is just um, continual talking through, building relationships with and helping the um, the power brokers to build relationships with other stakeholders to alleviate some of that fear and hand over some of that power um, is is some of the beauty of the Charette process. Mm. And that is really beautiful. So in theory, the success of how equitable an outcome is, is basically been handed back to the stakeholders. Is that how I'm understanding this process? Yeah. And I would say one of the reactions that I had to, um, to that question was, who am I to say that it's equitable? You know, for uh, I took off a lot of the dominant culture boxes. And so for me to come in and say it's equitable um, <laughs> is outright not not equitable. So um, so I think a lot of that has to has to um, come from the people that we're trying to engage and asking them, was that equitable for you? How did that work mm -hmm. for you? Um, and continually strive to improve our process. We're never going to get it 100% right. Um, but as long as we continue to keep moving forward in that direction, I, I think that's what's noteworthy. And I know we have to wrap up soon, but um, I feel like you really touched on uh, what we experienced to be the complexity of achieving uh, equitable community engagement. Because um, with our analysis of the uh, three cities that we mentioned mm -hmm. earlier, um, the metric system that we created, although you know one city or one county might have checked off one box and another didn't, it doesn't mean that um, it's any less equitable or any more equitable. Um, it's really you know case by case in each community and each uh, each of the community groups within a geographic location all have different needs and desires. Mm -hmm. So it's it's really up to them. So. Is it okay if I follow up on that, Helen? Sure. Because um, one thing, I'm going to go back to that question about what practices, um, you know, can we employ to help make our community engagement equitable is at the end of the engagement, mm -hmm. sitting down and having an evaluation of mm -hmm. what are the metrics that we used, what did we see, and having some conversation within your team and within your steering committee or some of your community members to get that feedback so that you have the continual improvement process. Because um, so often we're just speeding to the next project that we don't take the time to sit back and say, okay, what did we learn from that and how is that mm -hmm. going to inform the next time we work with this community or the other community? Um, I think that's really important. Yeah. That's fantastic. Um, I think that, you know, we covered a lot of uh, ground and really got at that root kernel of what is equitable and who is deciding and how are we deciding. But I really, um, I'm really have enjoyed hearing about the Charette process because I think that handing it back to the people who are going to be affected, who have a stake, who have a claim, having them as part of that decision making process is kind of the best way to get at equity and to be inclusive. And um, it seems though as though your training and your institute that you work for is really good about making sure that it's a diverse uh, set of stakeholders that you're including. So I think it really gets at that justice for decision-making processes. Yes, definitely. Thank you so much for, for taking the time to speak with us as well. I know your, your words and your knowledge has really uh, 
helped shape our project and uh, our discussions on what community engagement is and how to make it equitable and how that's different um, per space. So, you know, whether it's in parks and recreation, uh, mm-hmm. like, like our project is focused on, um, but also how those methods can be used elsewhere in, in different projects in different industries and realms. Yeah, I think when we start talking about equity and justice, there's a lot of translatable and mobile practices and and strategies that we can use across the board. So I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for being here. Thank you for listening to our episode on equitable community engagement with Raven and Helen. If you're looking for more episodes discussing justice, equity, diversity, and inclusion in urban planning, be sure to subscribe to our podcast channel. Thank you for listening to SubGW, George Washington University Sustainable Urban Planning Graduate Student Run Podcast. Catch us next time to hear more about what's up with urban planning.